if I find five farmers able to buy land because I help them, at least I have not, I have not been selfish mm. in my community. I also look at my children and I want them to grow up on a farm. And I know other people have children that they'd love to see grow up on a farm. When I see other children from my community, I see my little friends that I grew up with. Welcome to the 273rd installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, regional food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. If one has any doubt that Moses Mowani is passionate about farming and raising food, consider this. Soon after he moved to Minnesota from his native Kenya in 2004, he went searching for a patch, any patch, of land to raise a few vegetables on. He happened upon a community garden in the Twin Cities suburb of Hopkins, where he eventually raised vegetables on no fewer than 34 20 by 20 foot plots. When it was communicated to him, none too subtly, that perhaps a neighborhood garden wasn't a good fit for someone who obviously had bigger plans, Moses got in his car and started driving around rural Minnesota, stopping at various farms and asking the owners if they had land they would rent him. That didn't go so well. Corn and soybean farmers weren't that interested in carving out an acre or two for an aspiring vegetable farmer who was obviously not from the area. Eventually, Moses got access to an acre of land as well as production tips and local markets through the Food Group's incubator program in Marine on St. Croix, Minnesota. After that, he and his wife, Lona Onyancha, spent several years renting land at other spots in the region, honing their skills as vegetable producers. It wasn't always easy. Moses often worked a night shift at a nursing home and farmed during the day, and it took him a while to adjust to the brutally short growing conditions of the upper Midwest. Finally, in 2014, they used a USDA Farm Service Agency beginning farmer loan to help buy a 20-acre farm north of the Twin Cities, near the community of Cambridge. Since then, they've erected high tunnels and a deer fence, fashioned a walk-in cooler from a window air conditioner, and certified the land organic. In recent years, Dawn to Dusk Farm has solidified good market connections to the Mill City Farmer's Market and the Kingfield Farmer's Market. Moses and Lona are also focusing on making the farm a good home for their two young children, Faith and Neil. Perhaps because he had such a tough time accessing land when he immigrated here, during the past few years, Moses has opened up his family's farm as an incubator for other new immigrants. For a nominal fee, they were able to get access to a quarter-acre plot, water, and just as importantly, Moses and Lona's production and marketing expertise. The couple originally thought they'd invite four or five beginning farmers who had immigrated from Kenya onto their land. Word of mouth quickly spread, and they ended up with 13 in 2020. In 2021, that group grew to roughly 20. The incubator has been so successful that Moses and Lona are now helping farmers of African descent get started through an entity called Kilimo, Minnesota. Kilimo offers a three to five year hands-on training program that includes organic vegetable farming experience, group classes, networking, and one-on-one business mentoring. Moses and Lona are undertaking a GoFundMe campaign to raise money for, among other things, establishing infrastructure on 11 acres of land near Lionel Lakes, Minnesota, that's owned by a retired crop farmer who has opened it up to some of the farmers Dawn to Dusk works with. While getting his greenhouse ready this spring, Moses took a break to talk to me about his farming journey, his passion for raising food, and why he's working so hard to help other farmers launch their careers. So I came to this country in 2004, and then I had my first plot in uh, Hopkins, Minnesota. And uh, I still remember that 
I was just driving and uh, I saw a bunch of people in beautiful garden and uh, to me they looked like they are renting and uh, they, are, they come from all over. So I went there, I asked somebody and they told me just go to the city of Hopkins and you'll get a piece. I went there right away, I think the same day and then uh, I was told, ah, it's a little late, it's July, come next year. We give you, we give out plots first come, first serve, so uh, basis. And then that year, the first time I went there, I was the first one in March. And I took three plots. Then the following year, I took 11 plots. And the third year, I took 34 plots. Mm. So the third year, that's when something happened. And uh, there's one guy who, I mean, used to come and... Uh, work on the upload like late, late June towards July. So he came late June and July and he was looking for his plots and he, he, you know, he found this one guy has taken over and uh, he told me, Mister, maybe you just have to look for a farm out there. This is really small garden. So he was brave enough to tell me <laughs> that because he said, my plot is in the middle of what you are doing. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, so I felt... And, and when you talk about 34 plots... Like, how big was each? That was probably getting to be a fair amount of land, huh? Yeah, it was uh, 20 by 20. Oh, mm-hmm. 20 feet by 20, yeah. Because they would allow me to take as much as I could. I felt like, that I don't have a choice. I mean, I don't know anybody out there who, mm-hmm. will, who will give me land, so I'll just take this. And they still had more place, but that meant tilling more and the other people being pushed into newer mm-hmm. plots, something like that. So I get a sense these were more, it was more of a community garden type where people were just raising it for their own use. Yes. But you were, you want, you were farming. You wanted to farm I and produce to, it. I wanted to farm. So what happened after that more of a confrontation at the community plots, I jumped into my car and I started driving. Uh, I, I said to my mind, I will pick uh, like a 30 minute radius from where I lived in Hopkins. Mm-hmm. And just show up in people's driveways. And I did, and I was like, you know, and you're determined, you don't, you don't even realize what you're doing. So people, some of them would come out and they would be looking at me, and uh, <laughs> I will know this one is not going to work. Some will say, okay, I will talk to my spouse, we will call you, have you tried here and there? So tell me a little bit about when you were driving around, I can imagine, because I assume everybody that you were seeing was white, <laughs> and you get out, and and you, you're black, but you're also got a, a Kenyan accent. So I can imagine maybe you did get a lot of different responses. Sometimes I look back and I think, well, yeah, I, would I do that now? I'll still do that now. I don't, you know, it doesn't doesn't really matter. It's it it depends on just how you. Like, I, I wasn't getting out of the car, I would drive on the driveway, mm-hmm. and I would just honk until somebody comes out. Mm-hmm. Then they come, and then I'd put down my window, and uh, some will just give me a quick response. Some will say, what do you want? You know, mm-hmm. and yeah. I, I, I just realized that one is not a way to, not at least where I came from. Uh, it would be exchanging nice, mm-hmm. you know, uh, how are you? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Tell me, back up a little bit. So in Kenya, what part of Kenya did you grow up in? Uh, Western Kenya. Western. So did you farm there? Did did you come from a farming background? Yep. We grew 
almost everything for subsistence. That's one side where we grew up, but my parents came out from another region, like where there's plenty of tea mm. and uh, coffee. So every day you'll wake up and you'll be picking with your hands mm-hmm. for the tea, uh, tea leaves. Uh, but we also grew bananas and all these other things. Mm. If we needed uh, school fees, we'll have to sell one ship or maybe 20 bags of corn, which were like maybe 10, priced at $10 for, mm-hmm. for 90 kilograms, maybe 200 pounds, I don't know. Yeah. So you had that in your blood. And then what brought you, what brought you to America? What? Remember my dad just saw a green card lottery in the newspaper and uh, he, <laughs> he came when I was in school and said in college, I was in the second year college and he said, fill this out and I filled it out. Actually it was third year. Fill it out. And then when I finished, stayed home one year and uh, got my green card. I got to think that that might, was still a big adjustment for you if you were used to growing food in western Kenya to adjust to this growing season. It's one of the shorter growing seasons there is in the world. That must have been a big adjustment. Was, was that something that uh, you really had to adjust to? Even up to today, <laughs> uh, the, I work with farmers now, mm-hmm. try to mentor them. But we have these stories, you know, now it's warm. Some will go out there early April and plant because they think we are done. And then the frost, you know, 30s will just come and uh, wipe up their, whatever they have planted. Mm-hmm. That was one, but beyond just the climate, there's more, you know, like... In Kenya, you just grow. You don't think of where are you gonna sell. Mm-hmm. Markets are there. You when you when your things are ready, all you have to do is put them in a truck, show up at the market, and if you are early, you'll just find a spot. If you are late, maybe your spot won't be in the best place. And then taxes. The guy with the city council comes towards the end of the mid of the day, and they collect their little fees and that is it Mm -hmm. there's nothing there's no application you just take everything to the market whoever buy they'll go figure out how to cook and wash that is not here even up to date um, it's hard for us to like grow and still explain to the customer how to use the (laughs) the product yeah yeah that's that was one thing we had a challenge when we were doing csa because we we tried to to do csa years ago and uh, we felt like i don't know if we can be writing a newsletter every week picking the phone call and explaining what kale and chad and you know all these other things yeah Yeah. people are used to it coming packaged and ready to cook and from the and from the store so that is a big challenge yeah so yeah, so so from just producing to all the other aspects of running uh, a vegetable production as a business is different here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. you kind of have an incubator system set up here. I'm not sure what you call it. There's other farmers who are using this land here. So talk a little bit about, I guess, why you did that and kind of how that is set up. And. Uh, 2020, 2019, I went, uh, I did the farmer to farmer program where I, uh, in the winter I can go elsewhere because by then I wasn't doing much in the winter. I went to Uganda, I trained uh, farmers there for two weeks on record keeping. Not that I know about them, but uh, just a little bit of what I have learned here. Mm-hmm. And then uh, coming back, I said, I'll start doing that with the people here instead of going too far. 
then I talked with my with Lorna, my wife, and we said, well, maybe let's just start with four farmers or five. So we called a few that were close here, and uh, we thought we were going to start with them. Those few brought in 13 farmers <laughs> in 2020. <laughs> and we said, okay, that's fine. We will give you a quarter acre each, and we'll just show you how to grow, we can connect you to the markets we do. And if one other person decides to do farmer's market, yay, it will be great because now we have people, we, we, you know, we call and say, how was your market? Right. Of course, we have my, many other friends that, you know, are not Kenyans, but um, we'd love to see Kenyans or Africans do that. Mm -hmm. So were these all Kenyans, the, all thir the 13 or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. That was 2020. Wow. And then last year I had 19. So it moved from 13 to 19. In 2020, I introduced them to like the Good Acre, the Food Group, North Country Food Alliance. These are like food hubs that are get uh, produce and give it to consumers. So in 2020, it's only the Good Acre that was able to buy some of their stuff through the LEAF program. In 2021... That expanded from Good Acre to the Food Group also and the North Country Food Alliance. And one farmer also signed up for a farmer's market. And uh, now we had uh, one farmer, farmer's market, uh, over 10 selling wholesale here and there. And we were washing vegetables over here. I would put it on my van. I would like, aggregate for them and I would take it to the Good Acre. This year, six of those farmers have their own contracts. So they just need support in setting up a system for them and they should be able to take their own produce to these markets and mm -hmm. probably they have now started even looking for their own markets. So, and I have gotten even more now farmers coming in. I have a group of four West African farmers. I have one from Uganda. So they are like, if, and, and some of the, the, the first group in 2020 didn't come back in 2021 because they realized that this is more of if you want to do this as a business and mm -hmm. you want to get a farm so that's that's what i was i kept talking and then i kept discouraging those who just want to come and have a place to grow and uh you know have a place to grow their own food mm -hmm. i said well why 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 not just focus on those who want to like do this larger project yeah i think that that's a that that sounds like a real good model mm -hmm. for I, I you're providing a very important service from what i can see is that somebody can figure out without putting a whole lot of financial risk into it or traveling a great distance they can figure out if really farming is for them real you know farming where you are selling a product not just mm -hmm. raising it for your own household that kind of thing it mm -hmm. sounds like that's a really you would have benefited from that probably maybe that's what was in the back of your mind more where you you aren't just trying to rent land here, there, and everywhere, and then as you're trying to figure out if this is really something that's that's yeah. a reality for you. I would have uh, gotten to my farm a lot quicker if I had a mentor yeah. uh, that I would be attached to, and I would, you know, what I want to do is just shorten that period for the other, especially immigrant farmers, mm -hmm. because, like, people have grown here. Some of them... Uh, it's not hard to find a mentor. We see a lot of people interning in farms and all that, and they learn two years and uh, 
they are ready to buy their own farm and do things. But as an immigrant, they are like worried about even that, mm-hmm. you know, like it's out of their comfort zone. Um, so that's why you see this big number come over here. I go out and I show them how to grow literally everything because for them, they still need to learn what is this. They don't know Korabi, they don't know, uh, because some of them don't eat these things even though they are there. So we have to like, they, they have to learn all these names first and then they have to learn how to grow them and then they have to learn how to wash, how to package them, all that. And then they have to learn record keeping, they have to learn invoicing, they have to learn how to market, how to call the buyer and talk to them, all the way until they have to learn how to integrate to the other bigger farming community. Right now I'm also trying to push them to like be doing these conferences and uh, workshops and seminars. My desire is to build this community. Uh, I started with the East African. Now I see West African farmers have come. But the real, the real big picture here is if this can succeed, then we will actually be helping establish these groups of farmers that are all over the cities, mm-hmm. but they have no way of, uh, they, they don't have that stepping block to getting their own farms. They want to be mentored on how to go about preparing to buy a farm. And then if we are a community, we can share the common resource of, you know, like markets. Mm-hmm. We can tell you where to take your markets. We can tell you where to get ABCD. So it's really building that farming community. Mm-hmm. Do you have advice for someone else who might be looking at trying to do something like this where maybe they have some land or some some resources that they could share you know, what was some lessons you maybe learned? Because you did it for, you had farmers on here for, you said, two years, right? Quite a few farmers, and that was, you know, a lot of plots to, to deal with. And But what were some of the things you learned from that that maybe other people could find useful if they were thinking about doing something like this? The most important thing is to prepare and uh, really just know that uh, if you are going to incubate a farmer or if you are going to bring in somebody to your farm and give them uh, your plot, you really have to have that from your heart because if they don't know anything about farming, they will be asking you all these questions uh, that might feel like, I'm not getting paid enough for this. Mm. For the first year, I wasn't paid. The second year, last year, some organizations were beginning to like give me a few hours here and a few hours there but even those hours might be not what I want they're not paying me directly to work with the farmer Mm -hmm. so that is one Uh, two just talk to somebody who has uh, it depends with which who you're incubating that is really important if if you're incubating somebody who has uh, who is born here that might be different how you relate with them compared to somebody not born here. Mm-hmm. They need more of the human being first mm. before they need the land, right? They, a few, very few, I would say one or two that didn't bother me here, but most of them wanted first of all to like 
develop that relationship mm. with me or my family and then go out to the farm. Uh, they, they didn't just want to come here, go to the land. They wanted that human connection. Yes. Especially if, like you said, they're immigrants, they're new to the area, and you're kind of their connection. Yes. Yeah, they, it's, you have to reassure them that um, this is the right thing you do. Mm. Uh, the farmers I work with, I all, all the time I have to reassure them and say, this, this is not a, like, just think of it as an investment, like I said. It will pay later. Don't expect it to pay today. Mm. So farmers will come and say, I didn't make any money. And I will be like, okay, let's look at what happened. Or they will come and say, looks like you have markets for your stuff. And I grow a lot of this. And you're not helping me get markets. Can you take this to your market? And uh, sometimes it's like, I've been doing this for a long time. It's that balance of how do I share what I have with you mm. at the same time, make sure that I don't blow up everything when I started this yeah. because it can go in between relationships mm-hmm. where me and my wife have very different opinions about what these farmers need. Th- that, is, that, that actually is a big thing if you are a couple. It's mm. like... Make sure, <laughs> make sure you have a long list of things that you, between you yourselves, have agreed and then know that it's not going to be exhaustive, something is going to come out, have a conflict resolution thing in place between you and the farmers, all those things, because you don't know what the, the farmer you're incubating will do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a especially hard situation in that you are, this is a business, but it's a business that's on the same land that your home is on. So it's different than if it was a business separated from, from where you live, but you live here with your family. So that makes, like you said, the conflict resolution and, and still you want to give them that human connection, but you also have to have your own family life and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the biggest, that was the biggest challenge is like how, how you have to be as close to the farmer you're mentoring as you can. If it's one, that is easy, mm-hmm. two, three. But once you get too many, that's that's hard. You are putting a lot into this. And, you know, other than just trying to, to farm, run your own farm itself, I guess you must get something out of this extra. Like you, it's obvious you're very passionate about farming. I mean, you come all the way from Kenya and you're living in a suburb, and one of the first things you do is you try to figure out how you're going to farm. So you obviously are very passionate about farming, but it sounds like you're also passionate about helping. If When you see somebody else who's like-minded and is passionate about farming, you really want to help them. Is that kind of what you're getting out of it? Because it's a lot of extra work or whatever, but what, what is it that kind of is really driving you to really do this? If I, if I find five farmers able to buy land because I help them. I would think my work, at least I've not, I've not been selfish mm. in my community. So that might be one thing that I'm thinking. is like, I don't want my community to, be, to think that I'm selfish. I knew about this and I didn't, if when they come all, remember the one, they, when they came all, these 20 farmers, I didn't call them. <laughs> no, not even one, okay? But they all came, so I felt like, okay, let's let's do it. Mm. 
So, yes, I'd like to, I'd love to see if people from my community can make this work. Uh, will it happen now? No, it might take many, many years. I also look at my children and I want them to grow up on a farm. And I know other people have children that they'd love to see grow up on a farm. And uh, when I see other children from my community, I see my little friends that I grew up with. I just want to be on a farm. Yes, in the summer we work so hard, but we are happy to, to do that. We are happy to grow things and uh, go to the market and uh, sell and uh, have people say we are doing a good job, you know. So, something we love. For more information on Dawn to Dusk Farm, see the podcast page for episode number 273 at landstewardshipproject.org. There, you'll also find links to the Food Group's Incubator Program and LSP's Farm Beginnings course, as well as our Land Transitions Resources page. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly. If you can give ear to the ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 